Hello, mixtresses and mixters. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which, the, to which the answer to that question is, as per usual, Buffy. I watch every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, which means today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 9, What's My Line, Part 1. Wow, that was one of the smoothest introductions I've ever done, you guys. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so let's see. Let's start with the description of the episode. So I'm taking this from The Complete Slayer. Buffy interrupts two vampires robbing a mausoleum. Frustrated with Buffy's thwarting of his schemes, Spike summons the Order of Taraka, a society of assassins, to deal with her. Several strangers arrive in Sunnydale, including a girl who stowed away in an aircraft cargo hold. That night, Buffy skates on an empty ice rink while waiting for Angel. A one-eyed man attacks her, but Angel helps Buffy to kill the assassin. Giles tells Buffy that the Order will not stop until they complete their mission. Distraught, Buffy goes to Angel's apartment. Angel asks his usual informant, Willie, for information, but is attacked by the mysterious girl. She traps Angel in a cage, soon to be flooded with sunlight, and tells him that she is going after his girlfriend. Buffy wakes as an axe swings towards her. The girl tells Buffy that she is Kendra, the vampire slayer. So this episode is the first of the first of three two-parters in season two. And they're all um they're all pretty dramatic. This one's probably the least dramatic of the three, but it's still it's really a great episode. It's structured really well. The fact that it's a two-parter means that they can be a little bit more relaxed with the pacing. I think the plot is a really good plot. Like, essentially, they've been setting up this storyline for a little while now. If you remember, I think it was two episodes ago, um, Lie to Me, um there was a scene where a vampire stole a book from Giles's library. So this is finally coming into play now. Um, so Spike and Drusilla are trying to figure out how to translate this book that they stole from Giles's library. And they're still not totally revealing. So, okay, first of all, if this is your first time listening to my podcast about Buffy, um, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. There's your warning. So um, I'm just going to kind of like go through this whole setup of this, this two-parter here. So basically, Spike's got this book and he's trying to translate it because it's in a language that nobody, nobody knows what it is. He has like one of his lackeys is like a smart vampire and he's trying to figure out how to translate it, but it's not a language that he knows. So they find out that they need a key. They need like a decoder of some kind. So they go to a mausoleum and steal the decoder, which is, that's what Buffy sees those two vampires doing whenever she, she fights them, she kills one of them and the other one runs away. Um, and the decoder turns out to be like this really fancy looking Celtic, not really Celtic, more like a cross from the Vatican or something is what it looks like. Um, really fancy gold cross from the get from the Vatican or something. 
um, and they needed a coder. And at, at one point during the episode, so the whole the whole episode, Drusilla is looking at her tarot cards, which are really fun because they're not they're not traditional tarot cards. Like apparently, like the prop department, they they just sort of decided that they didn't want to base these cards off of real tarot cards. So a lot of them are just pictures. They don't really have, I don't think any of them have words on them. They're just pictures with Roman numerals. And at one point during the episode, and Drusilla, this whole episode is like telling the future with these tarot cards. I love it so much. Drusilla is just, she might be one of my very favorite I mean, I know she's one of my top five characters of Buffy of all time. I, I just wish she got more time on the show. But anyway, during the end of this episode, at one point she, and it's sort of a subtle moment because they don't call too much attention to it. She just sort of turns over a card, Spike and Drusilla are talking about the last thing that they need. And this is some kind of spell Spike is it's finally revealed in this episode that Spike is trying to do a spell that will restore Drusilla's health, which unfortunately, the introduction of one of my favorite characters of all time, she has been a weak and sickly vampire since she was introduced at the beginning of this season. Um, and so apparently the reason that Spike is in Sunnydale is because he's trying to gather together. He knows about this restoration spell and he's this whole time, I guess he's been trying to gather together all the components that are needed to restore her health. And apparently one of those is the book that was stolen from Giles's library two episodes ago. One of them is the cross that decodes the language in the book that he has acquired in this episode. And then when Drusilla turns over this card at the end of the episode, it is a picture of an angel. And they're talking about how they figured out what the last component that they need for the spell is. And um, you're going to find out in the next episode that the reason why it's Angel is because Angel is her um, maker, her sire. So um, that's the last component, like in order to restore a vampire's health that has been, because I guess Drusilla was taken almost to death by a mob in Prague. So um, the last component is like the blood of her sire. So I just really like that plot. I, I like the way that they set it up. Um, I, I just think it, it all works. It all totally works. So that's the plot line that's going on with Spike or Drusilla and just one element of the plot line. The other element of the plot line is that Buffy and Willow and Xander and Cordelia they're they're at they're having career week at school and they have to take a multiple choice aptitude test to see what kind of career they're most suited for based on this aptitude test and then they have to spend the week like in seminars or in trainings talking to people that have the career that they were sorted into i guess xander was sorted in he was um a prison guard so that's kind of funny Buffy got law enforcement on her aptitude test I don't think we ever find out oh no we do find out Cordelia um, Cordelia is not a huge part of this episode but we do find out that she um, she got motivational speaker or 
something else, personal shopper. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. Um, and Willow did not get any response. She wasn't like, she filled out her test and turned it in and everything, but like she wasn't on like the big list on the bulletin board showing where she was sorted into for career week. So that's an interesting little plot point. And anyway, Buffy's real like, you know, pissy in this episode from the very beginning because it's just this whole thing is making her mad having to fill out this aptitude test for a career that like it's it's pretty much moot for her because she's already the slayer. Like what is she going to I mean, she can't have like a career type career, something that takes up a lot of her time because she's got to be the slayer. So this episode is just Another in a long series of a, the recurring theme of Buffy would love to have a normal life if she could, but she can't. So I think that's the theme of the episode. I think that's the message. The message is that um, number one, standardized tests suck. They're stupid. Number two, um, she already has her sacred duty and she is the vampire slayer, so she can't do anything else. But spoiler alert... Kendra shows up. So this is when we first meet Kendra, who is also a vampire slayer. And we find out in the next episode that the reason why they're, this is like an anomaly. It may be the first time in history that this has ever happened. Buffy, um, that there's more than one slayer at once. It might be the first time in, in this mythological history that that has happened because Buffy drowned in the last episode of season one, Prophecy Girl, before she drowned and she was dead for, I don't know, a minute or two before um, Xander revived her. So because she was dead for a second, that was enough to call the next Slayer because, you know, a Slayer is a Slayer until they die. And um, so Kendra was called. So this breaks the... This fragments the Slayer line for all time, and this creates a weakness slash opportunity to later, you know, five years from now at the end of season seven, um, this particular fragmenting of the Slayer line is able, no, well, it's not that specifically. Anyway, let's just move on from that because that, that is a discussion that will be had in great detail in five years. So, um, yeah, so I've just babbled about this episode just off the top of my head for 10 minutes. Let's get to my notes. So, uh, my very first note is Spike Hearts Drusilla. Um, I, of course I love their relationship. I really do. I like Spike with Drusilla more than I like Spike later with Buffy. Although I love Spike's adoration of Buffy and just his adoration of any woman that he's in love with. I hate the way that he treats Harmony whenever he has like the fling with Harmony. He's just so dismissive and awful to her and I hate that. But I really like his relationship with Drusilla a lot a lot because every once in a while he snaps at her because he's on edge right now he's really trying to figure out how to restore Drusilla's health because as you'll find out later Spike is not used to being the take charge type even though that's the way that we meet Spike and Drusilla that he is like very alpha and he's taking care of her because she's sick and weak right now but that's not normally their dynamic 
usually Drusilla is the one that's more in charge because she's the one that sired Spike and she's usually much stronger than him in pretty much all ways except sanity. <laughs> um, so th this one of the very first scenes is Spike is talking to the, the nerdy vampire guy who's trying to translate the book and he's yelling at him like, why can't you fucking translate this and shit? And Drusilla's um, trying to get Spike to dance with her and she's playing with her tarot cards and he kind of snaps at her and of course he immediately apologizes and he's super sweet to her and oh, God, I just love them. I just love them. And Drusilla sort of, she reveals some stuff by looking at the tarot cards in this first scene too. And I just love the, the graceful way the graceful and slow way that she turns the cards over. And she just knows what's going on all the time. She's just, despite the fact that she's crazy, she knows what the fuck's going on. If people paid attention to her and read between the lines of her crazy, they could use her as an asset, you know? Anyway, um, let's see. And then one of the, uh, um, the next scene is Buffy sneaks back into her bedroom after... I think this is after she came back from killing the one vampire. Yeah, it's got to be when she came back from patrolling and killed the vampire who was one of the vampires that was stealing from the mausoleum. Um, so she climbs into her room, bedroom and Angel is there waiting for her. He's just creeping around in her bedroom and um, he's she kind of startles him whenever she throws her bag of weapons into the room. And he just like sort of jumps and turns around and he's holding a little stuffed pig. Um, so that was a cute little moment. Um, this whole scene between the two of them is kind of cute. Like it, it almost feels like they're in a real relationship now. They're sort of joking with each other. Angel's smiling. Um, Buffy confides in him that, she, you know, she's been having a bad day because it's career week and she has to put up with career week all week, even though she doesn't get to have a career because she's already the the vampire slayer and she can't ever have a normal life and sometimes she wishes she could and angel just sort of listens to her and he's very empathetic and it's just a good interaction um no surprise there because the master of relationship writing on buffy is marty noxon who writes for this episode i think it might be the first time she um was ever brought on as a writer um she is she was the showrunner during season six and it's one of my very favorite seasons. She's just so good at like relationship stuff, you know? So, um, this is probably, we probably have her to thank for this scene. And I think it's a pretty good scene because Angel, you know, he, he asks her what's wrong and he listens to her and then he like does something to cheer her up. Like, he finds out some stuff about her life by looking around her room and there's like a picture of her ice skating and he's like, hey, why don't I take you to an ice skating rink tomorrow? You know, take your mind off of this bullshit you have to deal with at school right now and the bullshit of your life. And, you know, let's go do a normal thing. And he's going to, so the next night they have plans, he's going to take her to an ice skating rink and it's just, it's sweet. It's just a sweet little interaction between the two of them. You really believe that, you know, they like each other and their relationship is progressing. So um, then it's the next morning that they find out what groups they got sorted into. So um, it is now Tuesday of career week. 
And um, so Xander looks up everyone's, what everyone was sorted into on this big bulletin board. And he's telling them what they got sorted into because they hadn't seen it yet, I guess, in this scene. And so he tells Buffy that she got sorted into law enforcement. And Buffy says, as in police? And then Xander says, as in polyester, donuts, and brutality. So sadly, that 20-year-old reference to police brutality is not stale or old sounding in 2017. There's a lot of um, really fun library research scenes in this episode because they're trying to figure out why... um, why a vampire stole the specific book that they stole from Giles, why there was somebody stealing something from the mausoleum. So they're in heavy research mode throughout this episode. And it's it's just a lot of fun. There's this great scene between Giles and Willow where Willow has fallen asleep at the computer and they've been there like overnight studying and, or, you know, researching, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out how to help Buffy once the Order of Taraka is summoned, which I'll get into that here in a second. And there's just this cute scene where Willow's asleep and Giles sort of gently wakes her up and she just looks all cute and sleepy with her little overalls and her striped shirt. And um, it's just a sweet little moment where you can tell that Giles and Willow like each other, you know, relationship stuff. Thanks, Marty. Um, (laughs) So let's see. Oh, there's this really, I think this is my favorite quote of the episode. And it's one that I don't think I ever really, like, processed before. Before today, me watching the episode the second time with the subtitles on and everything. Um, So I think at this point, it's Wednesday of career week. Wednesday? Is it? I think so. I think, I don't know, whatever. No, it can't be. No, this has to still be Tuesday. So Xander runs into Willow in the hallway. <clears throat> and anyway, when it, what, before, whenever Xander told Willow that she wasn't sorted into anything, like her name wasn't even on the list, she's very confused. Like, what? Like, she was excited about career week before. She's like, I want to see what kind of career I could be. I could be sorted into, blah, blah, blah. She was excited because she's a nerd. You know, of course, she's excited. And she was dismayed to find out that um, she wasn't listed at all. You know, what the fuck's up with that? So later, Xander runs into Willow in the hallway and he says, Willow, what are you doing here? Fly! Be free, little bird! You defy category! (laughs) I love that. You defy category! Um, And at this point, they run into Snyder and he (laughs) he says that every time Xander opens his mouth, it's it's an airborne toxic event, which is just a funny little phrase. I love that airborne toxic event. Um, some like men in black come out of the woodwork at the end of this scene and they grab Willow and they take her behind this black curtain that's been put up over the little student lounge area where they usually have like that little step up and then there's a couple of little, um, couches and chairs. Um, 
And they tell Willow that the reason why she wasn't sorted into a career category is because she's been chosen by this computer software company. And they're extremely selective. Like the two smartest people in the entire school are the only ones that were selected for this particular computer software program thing or whatever. And they offer her some canapé and Vivaldi's Spring is playing. So it's like behind this little curtain, it's just a sophisticated world <laughs> that only Willow and, surprise, Oz have been invited to. Um, later, you'll find out that um, Oz just sort of tests well. Um but this is just a super cute little moment where um, she sits down on the couch next to Oz and it's just the two of them because they have just been selected. They've been the only ones selected for this thing, whatever. And super great acting from Seth Green because, as you know, this little moment has been set up several times. Back in Inca Mummy Girl, that was the episode in which Oz saw Willow for the first time in her Inuit costume. Um, the second time he saw her was on Halloween where she was wearing like a vinyl skirt and some boots and like a crop top and like some goth looking makeup. And so he's seen her twice and recognized that it was her and like, you know, just very, who's that girl, you know, <laughs> just super sweet little moment. She also, um... So anyway, it's just this super great acting on his part because when she sits down on the couch, he's already sitting there. And whenever he looks at her and realizes that it's her, like you can see him have this like reaction where he, he looks over like, okay, there's there's a person sitting, sitting next to me. And then he realizes it's her and he gets super excited. And then he sort of calms himself down and he offers her some canapé. Because <laughs> he's got the plate in his hand um, of like, whatever canapé is I don't know what that even is something fancy sounding um so it's just super cute moment yay for Willow and Oz meeting so happy about that um so yeah we're gonna get to see more of Willow and Oz together because this is only Tuesday of career week and we get to see the second half of career week next episode um this is my first time seeing a two-parter in this new structure of me only watching the episodes 20 years after their original air date, I'm still allowed to watch other Buffy, but what the rule that I've made for myself is that I can only watch, um, I can't watch anything from the season that I'm currently doing for this podcast at the time. Um, so I could watch any other season right now and binge it if I wanted to, but I'm only allowed to watch the ones from this season on the official 20 years later dates. So this is the first time that I've had to stop myself after part one of a two-parter because um, the first two episodes of Buffy were a two-parter, but they aired on the same night. So I got to watch both of those parts on the same night before, and this is the only, this is only the second time there's been a two-parter. <laughs> And it's pretty agonizing to have to wait um, because I really wanted to keep watching it because I was just so into it. This is this is just a good storyline and it's a really great episode. Okay, um, what do we got next? Let's see. One of the contenders for outfit of the episode, which I, 
I decided that it was not going to be this one, but I still want to, um, a little bit of continuity here. Buffy is wearing a scarf still. Like, if you'll remember, at the end of the last episode, she got tattooed by Ethan Rain. So she's wearing a scarf again that's tied in the back so that it kind of dangles down the back of her neck. So um, presumably she still hasn't gotten the tattoo fully removed. So that's nice that they're making an effort there to be to have some continuity. Um, I do like Buffy's outfit um, at this point when she has, it's like a brown scarf around her neck and then she has like a v-neck sort of um taupe colored long sleeve sweater that also has these variegated black horizontal stripes and then the i don't know and then it's like a black mini skirt with knee boots it's just it's a good outfit so her and um giles are in the cemetery and they're having an argument about how they're going back to the mausoleum so that Giles can see what it was that was taken from the mausoleum whenever Buffy was there the night before. So good little scene there. Um, some good comedy, just good interactions between people in this whole episode. Um, let's see. And then you get, it is now Tuesday night, which is the night that Angel and Buffy have their date to go ice skating. And there's like this scene that lasts like a minute or so of just like this nice little peaceful score while Sarah Michelle Gellar is really actually ice skating. So that was probably a really fun shooting day. She probably got to like just go out there and ice skate for a few hours while people filmed her. It was probably very peaceful. Um, so that was a good moment to just she had this moment of peace where she was just ice skating. She wasn't thinking about being a slayer and she was waiting for Angel to get there because I guess he was late. And then, okay, here's where the order of Taraka comes in. The first in the order of the, of Taraka. So earlier when we saw Spike and Drusilla, I didn't mention this, but he decided that in order to get Buffy out of their way, he was going to summon the Order of Taraka, which is, a, I guess, a group of assassins where basically, basically, um, they're like bounty hunters and they just keep coming and coming and coming. Once you've summoned them, as long as you're paying for them, I guess, they just keep going until they get their target. Um, so, yeah. So the first of the Order of Taraka shows up at the ice skating rink about the same time the angel shows up right before angel shows up in fact so you see buffy sort of hurt her knee and then um and this whole knee storyline let me just do a little sidetrack real quick very nuanced very subtle so basically buffy sort of falls down a little bit and hurts her knee um, and then she kind of laughs it off. It's like not a big deal. And this is right before um, she has to fight the first guy in the Order of Taraka. So she's, you see her sort of hurt her knee. She it, it is never stated out loud that she hurt her knee. Like no one ever talks about it. She doesn't say anything about it. You see her kind of hurt her knee. And the next day you see her icing her knee. And throughout the rest of the episode she's sort of limping a little bit and you can see her kind of wince later whenever she gets into bed um 
And it's just, it's subtle. You know, like, you see that she has injured herself, but they don't really talk about it. And it's just, it's really, really great acting. Like, everybody's bringing their A game in this episode as far as the acting is concerned. So anyway, so the First Order Taraka guy shows up and nice kill on Buffy's part. She slits his neck. She jumps up and kicks him with her ice skates on and slits his throat with the ice skate. So that's how she kills him. And then Angel's there because he tried, he helped her with that fight. And they make out a little bit while he's in vamp face. And this is the first time you see, this is the first time Kendra sees Buffy. She doesn't know who Buffy is. She doesn't know there's another vampire slayer even. And we don't know who Kendra is at this point. At this point, we think that she's one of the Order of the Taraka. Um, so anyway, she sees them on the ice skating rink and she notices like, this is when they're making out and Angel's in vamp face and Buffy is not, of course. Um, and so she sees a girl making out with the vampire. So later she sort of hunts them. And, um, okay, so let's, let's keep going. Let's do my notes before I start going down a weird rabbit hole again. Um, let's see. Skate shoe neck slice said that. Can't even have a normal date with her cradle-robbing creature of the night boyfriend. <laughs> Much earlier, whenever her and um, Angel were sort of joking around on Monday night. Um, she called him her cradle-robbing creature of the night boyfriend. And he smiled and actually laughed. Um, let's see. Right after the first Order of Taraka guy dies, um, you see a little scene with Spike and Drew where Drew, like, turns over a card that she's already established. She she pulled three cards for the three Order of Taraka that I guess are there right now. She turns over his card and she just like knows. She just knows that he's dead. Drew is so smart. So smart and prescient. Um, okay. Again, I think it's totally uncharacter. I don't know if I said this already, but since Spike had ordered the order of Taraka. I think it's totally uncharacteristic of Spike to do this because he's obsessed with the Slayer from the very beginning. He's obsessed with the Slayer. He's always been obsessed with Slayers. He's killed two Slayers already. I think it's totally out of character for him to, you know, order some bounty hunters to kill her and get her out of their way. I mean, I guess we're supposed to think he is that preoccupied with getting Drusilla better. He's so preoccupied that he will forego the glory of killing a slayer. So, I don't know. I guess I can accept that. I can accept that. He loves Drusilla that much. Okay. So, next morning, at this point, it's Wednesday morning, and Buffy's getting everyone up to speed at the library on, you know this order of Taraka because after she killed the first guy Angel noticed his ring and he was like oh shit this is the order of the Taraka they're really fucking serious this is this is not a good thing and he was trying to like smuggle Buffy away and hide her somewhere and so Buffy's updating everyone at the library and Giles is like no shit you gotta hide somewhere this is this is a big deal everybody's freaked the fuck out and this is the point where Buffy starts getting freaked out. So her knee is hurt. 
she's wearing this is the outfit of the episode so what she's wearing is she's wearing some like army fatigue looking pants and a gray tank top and she later you see she has a like green flannel that kind of matches the whole situation it's like a green and gray flannel and or green and white maybe I don't know anyway it matches the pants and this is my favorite outfit of the episode because I really like how the costume people of Buffy how they dress Buffy according to her mood like most of the time she's stylish and kind of bubbly but she's wearing outfits that she could easily kick ass in like boots and mini skirts you can kick ass in boots and mini mini skirts totally but um i like how whenever buffy is truly like in this episode at this point she is sad she's injured she's depressed she's scared and i like that they're putting they're putting her in something that just essentially is comfort clothing it's something that a person would actually pick out if they were injured and they didn't feel good. They'd wear some like some old green pants and a tank top with a flannel, like a super oversized flannel. Like this is not the way that Buffy normally dresses, but it completely makes sense for the context of this episode. And I just love that. I just love it. Um, so that's why it's the outfit of the episode. Uh, let's see. And during this conversation in the library when Buffy's updating everyone on what's going on and Giles is trying to freak her out, it's, it's just understandably freaking out about the Order of Taraka because he knows what they are. Um, Buffy says, why are they after me? And Willow's like, because you're the scourge of the underworld. And then Buffy says, I haven't been that scourgey lately. <laughs> um, let's see. So... Buffy just sort of takes off and gets the fuck out of there. Um, and then it's nighttime suddenly. I don't know. Whatever. Time. So she just sort of takes off and I guess, I guess you're supposed to believe that she's sort of wandered aimlessly in a funk for the rest of the day. And then you see her at night. She arrives home. And she's standing on the sidewalk. And later it's been set up that Joyce is away until Thursday. And at this point it's Wednesday night. She, you see her get home and look at her dark house and just no words, no words in this entire scene. The scene is brilliant. You see her just sort of look at her house and you can tell she does not want to go home to an empty house. She's scared. She's really scared. So she keeps going. You see her arrive at Angel's house. This is the first time we see Angel's house and she knocks, but no one answers. So she just breaks into his house she just breaks the doorknob and goes in and then there's like this weird little wind chime sound at angel's house and it's it's part of the score so it's not like wind chimes are in his house but you see her just sort of looking around it's obvious it looks like it's pretty obvious that it's her first time in his house but yet she knew where he lived so whatever so you're sort of looking around at his stuff and which totally understandable that she breaks into his house like i don't think there's anything wrong with that because he's constantly breaking into her room you know so tit for tat so anyway so she's just sort of wandering around in his house and she's sort of hugging herself and she's wearing the flannel and you can tell she's just very scared and tired and 
she's still limping a little bit. It's a very subtle limp. In fact, I never noticed that she was limping in all the other times that I've watched this episode in my life. This is probably the, you know, 10th time I've seen this episode in my life. And I never noticed that she was limping because it's a subtle limp. It's not, you know, it's not. Yeah, anyway, this whole knee injury thing, so subtle, so subtle. <laughs> anyway, so she she's kind of limping a little bit. She sees Angel's bed and she sits down and she just, you can tell that, you can just tell that she finds his place to be comforting, even though he's not there. Um, you can tell that this is exactly where she needs to be right now. She lays down, she... She sort of winces a little bit because of her knee and she just sort of curls up and she goes to sleep. And um, I don't know. It's just a really great scene. I just, I don't know. I love it. I love it. Um, let's see. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think the prop department did a great job. So like I said, this is the first time we see Angel's apartment. And I think it's really, I don't know. I, I feel like it fits him as a character. I think they get, did a great job. There's sort of a subtle green light kind of like Giles's Giles's house has like a warm green light but Angel's place is sort of a cool dark green um sort of a more less just less warm it's a cool dark place and it's kind of sparse but what's there is pretty intentional like he has some like sophisticated looking art he has a Quan Yin statue behind a little glass case which fun fact I have that same Quan Yin statue it's like the same only his is on like a wooden pedestal and mine is standing on a pedestal made out of the same stuff as the rest of it so (laughs) that Quan Yin statue would definitely be my object my favorite object of the episode if I didn't already own it so there um and it, I don't know, his, his place is just nice, you know, it's just nice. And it, it says angel to me. I can totally see why that's the place that Buffy wants to be right now. She doesn't feel safe being at home because she's got this order to Raka after her. And I totally understand why she sought comfort in her boyfriend's lair. Um, cause it's something also that a 16 year old would completely do. Speaking of things that 16 year olds totally do so at this point like everybody's really worried about Buffy because she just sort of took off and she was upset and scared and nobody knows where she is so everybody's still kind of in research mode at the library and Xander tries to call Buffy at home but she doesn't answer and so he's relaying this to Giles like um and Giles says well maybe she unplugged her phone and then Xander says it's a statistical impossibility for a 16-year-old girl to unplug her phone. And then Giles sort of looks at Willow to confirm this, and Willow just nods her head like, yeah, yep, yeah, that's true. Total truth. <laughs> so it's a sweet little moment, too. Everything is like, I'm just describing things that happened in this episode and then saying, that's a sweet little moment. Sorry about it. Um, okay, so there's that. Um, oh, yeah, in my notes I wrote, visceral boyfriend's bed comfort scene and it really was like I didn't describe it like that a second ago but it really was very visceral like they did a good job really getting you to feel this moment of scared injured Buffy taking comfort like 
without hitting you over the head with it, they were telling a really good story in that wordless scene. I like that a lot. Um, let's see. There's a scene where Angel beats up Willie the Snitch for information. This is, I think, the first time we're seeing Willie the Snitch. He is a barkeep that has like a demon slash human bar. So he hears, I mean, the the plot is that he hears everything all the time. So people just go beat him up for information anytime they need it. There'll be like scenes throughout the entire series of Buffy or Angel or somebody beating this guy up for information. <laughs> he gets beat up a lot. And this is the first time we meet him. Um... Oh, at this point, um, Kendra interferes while Angel is still beating up Willie for information. And she locks him in a cage in the back of the bar, I guess. I don't know why there's a cage in the back of the bar, but whatever. And um, because she knows he's a vampire and she's been tracking him, I guess, since she saw him at the skating rink. And so she locks, I guess, instead of staking him, she locks him in this cage that has an eastern exposure and the sun's going to be up in a few hours. So, like, he is trapped. And by the end, this is almost the end of the episode, so he's still trapped by the end of this episode. Um, so, weird sadistic move on Kendra's part. Um, now that we have brought up Kendra... I wanted to read to you from my, um, I have several Buffy books that I consult, um, several like academic studies Buffy books that I consult every time um, I do one of these episodes. And there's a whole little like three to five pages on Kendra in my book that's called Sex and the Slayer by Lorna Jowett. Um, it's a gender studies book about Buffy. And they had some pretty interesting things to say about Kendra as a character. And I wanted to read this part because it is a known problem with Buffy, the show, that there aren't very many people of color on the show. And when they are, they get killed off pretty quickly. Kendra, no exception. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we are only going to get to see her in like five episodes at the most but she's dead by the end of this season um and it's it's a problematic it's a known thing that like there aren't very many people of color on Buffy and this is a thing that Joss Whedon has tried to remedy in future shows he had more people of color on Angel he had more people of color on Dollhouse he has made effort to fix this blind spot that he has. But there was something pointed out in my Sex and the Slayer book about the script from this episode. And I think it's important to note it here. So I'm just going to read it from the book. Um, okay, what's my land part one? Okay, so... Da -da 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 -da. The introductory script description. So this is a direct quote from the script description of um, describing Kendra as a character. An ethnic young woman, 17, her feline feral eyes getting used to the sudden light. She's a predator, a hunter, and her name is Kendra. 
This description engages cultural and racial stereotypes, animalistic, as well as stereotypes of bad women, feline, predatory. So I think that's pretty important because that's from from the perspective of presumably Joss Whedon or any of the other writers of this particular script. They were specifically looking for a woman of color, but instead of just calling her a woman of color that's going to play a slayer, they say they call her a predator, a hunter, feline, feral, ethnic. So that's problematic. You know, all your faves are problematic. I just felt like that needed a moment of recognition right there. So um, while we're talking about Kendra, you may notice by watching this episode that her Jamaican accent sounds like a mockery of a Jamaican accent. So Bianca Lawson, who played the part of Kendra, is not Jamaican. This is not her regular accent. And it sounds really comically bad. But I think despite all the other problematic things about, you know, the way that they cast her and what they wanted from this character, I think that this accent sounding as bad as it does was an actual accident. Because in the commentary of the episode, you see Marty Noxon talking about this issue. And there was actually a dialect coach on set that for whatever reason, they thought that this dialect coach wanted to teach Bianca Lawson this very specific regional Jamaican accent that actually sounds like this. So she actually did a great job of pulling off this accent that sounds fake, but actually isn't. So this is a case where they were trying really hard to give her an authentic accent, but it came off like they didn't try at all. So I guess I just wanted to provide a little bit of contrast to the problematic moment that we just discussed about Kendra. So let's talk about Kendra for a second, just as a character. She is... They don't really give her a lot of depth, unfortunately, because she's a woman of color. They don't give her much. She dies by the end of the season, and we're already in the third disc of five, five or six, maybe? I guess, let's see. We're on episode nine. There are 22 episodes in the season. She dies during the last episode of the season, I think. So, And she's not there the whole time. Like, she runs away, and then she comes back. So anyway, she doesn't get much but as a character, I think much more could have been explored with Kendra. She is in the Sex and the Slayer book. They called her. They call her a genuine good girl, and I think that that's correct. She is very. She's a rule follower. She's very studious. I would say she's probably Ravenclaw. She really. You'll find out more about her in the next... Maybe I should wait to have this discussion until we... Until next week when we discuss part two. Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's go ahead and table that because <laughs> we're 47 minutes in right now. And I have to start my radio show in less than 30 minutes. So I need to finish recording this podcast. Um, Let's see. Okay, so she's just locked Angel in a cage. Um, This is the part where, like I mentioned earlier... um. Drusilla turns over the card with the angel on it. 
and um without them saying this is another moment where like it's not said out loud you know they don't say angel they just show you the picture of this tarot card that has an angel on it like a stereotypical angel so um that's just a little piece of foreshadowing for the next episode that they'll they'll be more blatant about in the next episode but that's just a nice little a nice little thing so you get the now we're back at angel's apartment buffy's still sleeping and there's like the wind chime effect like you can see that she feels peaceful that she's had a healing night i don't know i don't know how long she's been there sleeping in angel's apartment but you got at least you know you're meant to take in the fact that she just had a real good nap okay she feels better she wakes up right before like getting kicked or punched or whatever by kendra so kendra has somehow found her i have no fucking clue how how did she find her <laughs> like how does she know unless she followed buffy whenever she first went to angel's house but then she went to find angel instead like i don't understand how she found her but anyway she found her so she's woken up buffy's woken up by kendra and they fight and it's it's a pretty good fight and then um at one point kendra asks her who are you and um buffy says you attacked me who the hell are you and kendra and then the last six words of the episode and you can tell by like the fight and how energized buffy seems she seems like she's really gotten over her depressive moment that she had there the nap was all she needed she's better now naps are the best go naps so she's definitely not she's not limping or anything like that at this point she's fully healed you know slayer powers slayer restorative properties all that shit so they're fighting the last six words of the episode i am kendra the vampire slayer <laughs> that's my terrible imitation of her terrible accent but it's like really hard to talk about kendra without using that terrible accent which means that i'm part of the problem anyway so that is the episode so very exciting to end on that note because if you've never seen it before you're like what how is there another vampire slayer there's more than one how did that happen there's only supposed to be a cho chosen one not chosen two so really excited about talking about part two of this episode next week but let's go ahead and get into all of the ratings and everything now as i already told you my outfit of the episode is buffy's um buffy's army pants gray tank top and flannel shirt whenever she's injured and scared i i just really like the use of depression clothing with buffy um the only music in this episode besides score stuff is um vivaldi's spring that was played earlier when you saw willow and oz meet each other for the first time um behind the black curtain so we'll find more about we'll get to another we'll at least get another scene or two of oh i totally didn't mention a super fun moment between buffy and oz in this episode she's she's walking through the hallway after the conversation in um in the library when she's already in her depression outfit before she wanders off and ends up at angel's apartment 
she's walking down the hallway at school and everybody is in the hallway people everywhere and she's just sort of looking around like a crackhead like everybody is a threat because she doesn't know who else is going to be in this order of Taraka like anyone could be her enemy and she's super freaked out like Oz walks quickly up behind her and she freaks out and she slams him against either the wall or a locker and like has her hand at his throat and she's like what what <laughs> she's super like intense and um he and then she realizes she just did that to some random student <laughs> and she's like oh my god I'm sorry I'm sorry and um then she walks away and Oz after she walks off that's my phone sorry <laughs> I have this moon face app that like it makes that sound every once in a while to tell me some shit or another. I don't know what it's trying to tell me. Anyway, um, so after she walks off, um, Oz says, man, that is an intense person. The subtitle said, that is, man, that is a tense person. But I think he says, I liked it better when I thought he was saying, man, that is an intense person. <laughs> like, this is, we're finally getting more Oz. Oh! Okay, so excited, so excited. Okay, so um, my quote of the episode. Shit, didn't I tell you guys what that was earlier? I wrote down a lot of quotes. Let's just go with whenever Xander told Willow, you defy category. I like that. I think that's it. Let me write it down because I didn't write it down before. In my official little notebook in, under the best quote category needs to all be filled in you know for fast reference later you know what i'm saying so that's the quote of the episode you defy category i love defying category let's all let's let's let that be our motto for this week maybe i should start having a segment like <laughs> distilling the episode down to of some words of wisdom for the week that would be fun wouldn't it what do you guys think about that category? So that category. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that will be our motto for this week. You defy category. Let's all defy category this week. Let's live outside the walls of where we think we should, the molds that we think we should fit in. Let's do that this week. Okay. <laughs> Inspirational words with Mixtress Ray. Um, my object of affection for this um, episode, I like to pick an object that I could pluck directly out of the episode and have in my own life. And for this episode, that object would be Kendra's entire jewelry situation. She's got these big silver hoops. She's got this thick, beaded, very tribal looking choker. And also another necklace on a black cord that's like a rectangular silver object with little dots on it. And she also has a bracelet that is at least three inches wide that matches the choker. So I just want, I want Kendra's jewelry. That's what I want. The most valuable player in this episode for me is Kendra because I love, I love getting to meet a new vampire slayer like 
this opens up so many possibilities for Buffy because if she's not the only one, then someone else can help her. And then maybe her life isn't totally about being the Slayer. So it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, okay, so that's everything except my actual ratings, my five by five ratings. So the first score as far as enjoyability, like just how much I loved this episode I'm giving it a five. I really liked it. There were a couple of moments, like I don't like the music during the fight scenes. I think the fight choreography is not bad, I, but I just hardly ever enjoy the fight scenes in Buffy because I don't like the score. So, I mean, the score can be okay in other moments, but in fight scenes, the score is very just tragically 90s and bad. Like, I don't think I've ever said tragic in whenever I was talking about the 90s ever in my life but there it is the one and only time I will say tragic when relating to the 90s but besides that besides terrible fight music I think this episode was solid so I'm giving it a five as far as the um clarity of message which is my second rating for the episode out of five I I mean I know that it's a it's the general theme of Buffy wishing she could have a normal life, but she can't and defying category and, and like aptitude tests are dumb, but I, I don't think I get it completely. I don't think I get what they're trying to say completely. I don't think it's, it's a lot easier to like say cut and dry one of the like cheesy B-movie type episodes, what the metaphor is. But here, it's not really very metaphor. It's pretty baldly right there, you know? Like, it's not hiding behind anything. So I feel like, in that sense, I don't know. I'm giving it a three. I'm giving it a three for clarity. So, even though I just made an argument for why it's extra clear, whatever. So the episode overall gets a 15 from me. So that's what's my line part one, episode nine of season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I will be back next Friday and we'll talk about part two. How exciting is that? The Friday after Thanksgiving. Um, I'm pretty excited. So let's do a quick what's up with Mixtress super quick because this episode is already almost an hour long and I have less than 20 minutes till I have to start my radio show. Um, I just got done with yesterday was my eighth day working in a row. I had, I haven't had more than one day off in a row since my two week vacation that I had, um, mid October. So it's been a few weeks since I've had more than one day off in a row. And um, today I'm off, but I work tomorrow. Anyway, I have, I was very overstimulated last week. And it was just sort of, I mean, like you guys know, I just put out the Buffy episode on Monday that should have been out last Friday. Because it was just a very difficult week for me as far as work was concerned. Overstimulating, bullshit, stuff that I had to deal with last Friday at work, which I won't go into because then this podcast will be two hours long and I won't have started my radio show. So, um, 
but I am much, much, much better this week. Today was a good day to have off. I spent the first few hours of the day just hanging out, playing Animal Crossing on my 3DS, which is my favorite video game ever, <laughs> and just relaxing, playing Animal Crossing. And I did pay bills and go get groceries and other things like that, grown-up things. But um, for the most part, I just had a nice relaxing day. And now I'm working on this podcast for you guys. So um, thanks for listening. Um, I felt like I was going to say something that made sense. Oh, man, you know what should have been the object of the episode? I'm changing that. I'm going back and changing it because we're going to see Kendra in the next episode. So I can make Kendra's jewelry my featured object of the second part. But I don't know if the tarot cards will resurface in the second part. So I'm going to change my object to Drusilla's tarot cards because they're cool. Okay, the prop department did a great job with those tarot cards because they look like they're 300 years old <laughs> and they're super weird and they're not real tarot cards. So changing my object to that. Okay, now that that's out of the way. If you guys would like to find me online, I am Mixtress Ray on pretty much every social media. That's also my website. Mixtress is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. That's Mixtress Ray. Ray is my middle name, so that's why the Ray. Um, because I'm a ray of sunshine, right? Um, <laughs> if you would like to send me an email, mixtressradio at gmail is the way to do that. Mixtress with an X radio spelled the normal way. If you would like to help me out, I am $40 away from having my podcast paid for this year, um, on my GoFundMe campaign. So, um, if you would like to help me out, I would be so, 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 so grateful. And there will be some kind of prizes of some kind at some point in the future, whenever I reach my goal. Um, so I will keep track of your name if you donate to me and you will eventually be rewarded in some manner, like a button or something like that. So if you would like to help me out with that, um, gofundme.com slash radio is the way that you can do that. Or you can send me money on PayPal always and forever. I will always be grateful for that. Getting paid for creative things is something that I hope to be able to do in the future. And so a way that you can do that via PayPal is paypal.me slash Ray. Thank you for listening tonight. It has been a lot of fun um, discussing what's my line part one because I think that I, this is like an overlooked episode for me. Like whenever I think about my very favorite episodes of Buffy, I hardly ever think about this one. But I mean, later I probably need to like do a ranking of my favorite two-parter episodes. And this one's definitely going to be on that list. So sorry I didn't silence my phone during this podcast. <laughs> I keep noticing little like an email, a text message, this, this, this. So sorry you had to hear those noises this entire podcast. I forgot... I forgot. I forgot about airplane mode. I forgot about do not disturb. I could have silenced, do not disturb, airplane mode. I could have done any of those things and I did none of them. And I'm sorry. I failed you. Anyway, um, until next week when we finally get to discuss part two. Bye.